officially welcome to season two. I'm Bree. I'm Alberto, and I can't believe we actually made it to season two. I can. I knew from episode three that this was so much fun that even if we didn't have anybody who was listening, I still want to keep doing it. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's, it's pretty chill. We watch movies every once in a while and critique them and have arguments and... Hang out with our best friend. Yeah, I was getting to that one. <laughs> but yeah, we are back. Episode one of season two. Last season, we finished off Batman and all his glory. Then we dropped a little bit of a teaser to talk about what's coming next, but let's flush it out here. Can you please tell our listeners and me what I have in store? This was difficult for me because there was a spoil of riches. There was so much to choose from. I I couldn't even break it down into what subject I wanted to cover this season. And finally, you had to help me figure out what we could really do. And what I'm discovering in this is I have some taste in movies that I would consider a romance that Alberto has completely balked at. So I'm thinking... Some of you guys may balk at that, too, so I'm going to ask you to bear with me and see where I'm getting with them. I'm also discovering, and you're going to see as well, that maybe we're going to delve a little bit into the supernatural side of things. I guess I don't like normal romances all that much. So i got to brace myself and the audience. Are we watching Twilight? No. Okay. Oh gosh, no. Yeah, no. I will admit I've seen them because I was of a certain age when the craze hit. That being said, I go back and since since we're not covering Twilight, let me finish my first thought. I go back and I look at how completely cringy that is. And the cringe that it inspired. In reference to the cringe that it inspired, I would also like to assure every listener, we will not be watching Fifty Shades of Grey. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I cannot say this deeply enough. That entire franchise is straight Rash. I I will admit I forgot completely about that entire spin-off because that's what it was. It was it was a fan, fan fiction. fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What a wild ride. And let me say, I am not ashamed to admit I am a fan fiction reader. But it's got to be good. Even that fan fiction was straight trash, and I don't know how it became a novel because I did see it when it was a fan fiction. Oh. And even that was straight trash. Wow, that's, uh, wow. Okay, so we are covering what genre? (laughs) (laughs) We haven't even introduced the movie. We're just slamming. Twilight. And uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, which essentially means that if we had any Board Housewife listeners, we've pretty much lost them. Yeah. Or did we? Bonus episode ideas. Oh my gosh, if you make me watch Fifty Shades of Grey. (laughs) Friendship off. <laughs> Alright, that's fair. <laughs> um, to be fair, I tried. I 
really tried at one point because I happen to like the actors. Yeah, the actors in the movie, from what I remember, are actually pretty decent. I think I got 15 minutes in. It was Twilight with different characters' names. So what genre are we watching for this season? Romance. But not just the grab the tissues and cry your heart out. I think I have one movie that's that dramatic. Mm. Um, It's going to cover every, not every, there's so many. It covers action. Subgenres. Yes, it's going to cover action, uh, comedy, drama, a little bit of supernatural elements into the comedies and the dramas. Well, I'm intrigued to see what the season brings along. Um, When I got your list for approval, there wasn't anything on there that I strongly remember seeing and being a fan of, so I'm pretty much going into this blind. Like I did last season for 80% of it. Yeah, so I'm intrigued. I have seen some of the movies on the list, but... As I said before, it's not in me to go back and rewatch things that I've already seen. I won't lie. There are movies that are going to be a little bit difficult to digest in the 2020 eye. And I've included them because, one, nostalgia. Two, I want to see if the nostalgia holds up to what... Current times would scrutinize. And three, because if it's a movie I love, I can genuinely say these are movies I loved. I watched them multiple times. On that note, we are going to start with the most problematic movie on my list. And what movie would that be? Hey, before, am I going to be uncomfortable? There's no overt... This is genuinely horribly wrong. The character, while doing something really skeezy, maintains boundaries. Oh, I know what we're watching. And it was very recently remade. So in a 2018 eye, people thought it was okay, so long as the genders were swapped. Today we are watching Overboard, the the original. Where a man takes a woman with amnesia and convinces her that she's the mother of four kids and uh, a housewife? Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah. Be- okay. Beca- because she didn't pay him for work that he did. Oh, oh, there was a reason. Yes. I did not know that yes. part. Yes. Yes, there was a reason. Not a great reason. You know, honestly, having no reason makes me feel better if it's like a revenge thing. I'm how you you have to watch it. You have to watch it. There, well, there's we're gonna have to watch there, it. There is an HEA or a happily ever after. Mm-hmm. It it's a true romantic comedy with a very big issue of consent and kidnapping and trafficking and. But you knew I was going to include a Goldie and Kurt movie. Yeah, I knew. I got the list. The list was quite extensive. And I did not veto anything on it, but we are narrowing it down to half, maybe, or something. I don't know how long this season's going to be, but I know all of the movies. I don't know the order 
or what we're watching today. Yeah, it's so. going to be like 10 or 11. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. Because I think we're going to do a Christmas romance as well. And oh. when... I, I don't think anybody is going to be expecting this movie. It's not Elf. Good. Is there a romance in Elf? Oh, I guess he does like that um, Zoe Deschanel. And they get a happily ever after and everything with the baby. And... Mm, interesting. But that's neither here nor there to what we are watching today. And maybe we'll try to make a goal of like 10% less tangents this season. Yeah, that we'll see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, segueing back, Overboard, the original, released in 1980-some? Yeah, I was an itty-bitty baby when it was released. However, I have seen this movie before the age of 18 at least 30 times. Because it was always on TV. And it's one of those movies that if it's on TV, you're going to sit down and watch it. Yeah, that's fair. I don't remember theatering or anything like that, this movie. I only saw it on, like, TBS or mm-hmm. you know, cable television, stuff like that. Yeah, guaranteed growing up, you saw it on TV at minimum four times a year. Back in the day. Now, now you just stream movies. Yeah. And look at that. I started a segue. Usually it's you. This time it was me. <laughs> but I'm not going to let it get that far. Um, Overboard. Released in 1987. Directed by... The legendary Gary Marshall. Legendary. This man created... The best of 70s and 80s television. Okay. He um he created Happy Days, Mork and Mindy, Laverne and Shirley. Mm. Was this his first movie? No. Okay. He's also very well known for directing the Princess Diaries franchise. Oh, okay. So like those Disney movies from back in the day. Yeah. Van Hathaway. Yeah. I like that. That's a good one. We are introducing, I do believe this may be our first... Female writer, Leslie Dixon. That's a little depressing. Like, I mean, we're season two, 12 episodes in, haven't had a female writer. We were in a very male, stereotypical male. That is true. But it's 2021. 22. What year is it? We're 2021 still, okay. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Season two, and we finally hit our first female writer. And I could be wrong. There might have been women in... I know that there was... Zack Snyder's wife. Zack Snyder's wife. I think she was a producer, though. Yes, I believe so. But either way, you know, girl power. And this is a very iffy movie. So if we can get some women input in it, maybe it makes it better. It was written by a woman. I honestly don't know. And the two star leads, Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. Yes. Who I believe at one point, I think I said were couple goals. Yes, you did say that at one point, and that is why I decided to introduce them. They've been together for 37 years at this okay. point, maybe? So now I have to ask, is this the movie that got them together, or were they They were already... together before this. They got together in 1982. Oh, okay. Yeah. They'd already had their their son, their all three of their children. 
because she had two children from a previous relationship who are quite famous in their own right. And, oh, Oliver Hudson and Kate Hudson. Yeah, the Hudson. Yeah, okay. I know Oliver Hudson was one of them, and Kate Hudson was hers. But then they have a son together, too. All three of their children were together with them on set, on this particular project. Yeah, they were an established family by this point. Interesting. You can tell that you are a fan. Like, you are spouting knowledge, like, bam, bam, bam. It's pretty cool. I think that they are, they were never married. They're just a couple. And they talk about the importance of, like, what is the definitions and the boundaries that you have to have in your relationship, and why does your relationship have to be successful because you got married. There And, you know, they raised really humble and endearing children who... I just... I... This just is turning into yes, this is turning into the, like the breeze stands Goldie and Kurt episode, but it's justified. It is, and even like just go check out Goldie Hawn's Instagram, and you will see just what amazing people these people are. I just I can't. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I I can't. Okay, <laughs> moving along. Edward Herman is in this movie. Do we know who Edward Herman is? He's the dude who's in every Gary Marshall's movies. No, that's um, Alonzo. Ah, so close. Yeah, Edward Herman is... I'm trying to think of... Did you ever watch Gilmore Girls? Like, even one episode? Edward Herman is probably best known to the millennial generation as Lorelai's dad in Gilmore Girls. Okay, cool. Never seen Gilmore Girls once. So, I'll just take a word for it. Um, Catherine Hellman. Do we know who Catherine Hellman is? I'm going to assume a blonde? No. Ah. Uh, Catherine Hellman plays Goldie Hawn's mom in this movie. Well, she should be blonde, because isn't Goldie Hawn blonde? Goldie Hawn is blonde, but, I mean, that wasn't a thing. <laughs> people didn't care if people looked like each other. Okay. Uh, Catherine Hellman is a very well-known, best known as Mona from Who's the Boss. Okay. All right, that's cool. We also got Mike Haggerty in this movie. And honestly, I don't know if I could tell you what my, like, other projects that Mike Haggerty was in, but when I tell you, you'll recognize him immediately. Because he was a uh, very much 1980s, 1990s that guy who would be the other John Candy. You'll 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 okay. know it as soon as you see him. Like the person who was going to play his role John Candy. was going to be John Candy. So yeah, as soon as you see him, you'll see it. I'm very bad with names, but the face. Mm-hmm. And I didn't include any of the children. Just because then we get into a very huge list of people who... There's like five of them or something? Yeah. I don't remember. So the tagline for this movie is from opulence to rags to love. That kind of just love like it. gives it It really does. Away. It does. I and assume rich and then poor and then love. So it doesn't matter. Here is something I've noticed trending. What's that? I've had a lot of dislike... For a lot of different things in the last season that maybe I could be talked around to. 
But it is very much a trend that you and I rip on the tagline <laughs> consistently. Well, it's because, like, that's that's the hook. That's what's got to get you into the movie. That doesn't, that, that spoils it for me. And I got to go look at a dictionary to find out what opulence means. <laughs> so as controversial as this movie is at this point in time, back in the day, it was just rated PG. Just, oh, oh, just PG. It had very mixed reviews, even at the time. Just saying. But... It's a PG rating. It is only a PG rating. And I think they get that because there's only one curse dropped and it was the 80s. Consent wasn't as hot button topic as it is now. Okay. Estimated budget, about $22 million. And this is where I say, at the time, it did have very, very, very mixed reviews. It's opening weekend. It only made... One million eight hundred and eighty thousand dollars. Is that even a tenth? I don't even think that's a tenth. That would be like maybe one city. Like if you think of packed theaters. Yeah. Like one major metropolitan city with a packed theater over a weekend would make that. And less than a tenth of its budget. Wow, this movie bombed. Completely bombed. However... It is considered a cult classic. At this point. Because of Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell, or... I honestly don't know exactly why. Maybe because despite the glaring issues with the plot, it's such a cute movie. It really is. They're a really cute couple. The kids are adorable. It's legitimately funny. Okay, well... I'm pretty hyped to see what's what's up. For anybody who's interested, if we're going to count for inflation to 2021, their budget would have been $53,564. And, no, $53,564,000. And opening weekend, they would have made $4.5 So... That's still a bomb. That Yeah, it is nothing short of a flat-out bomb. But cult classic, obviously, it's got to make massive, money other yeah, ways. Massive so. in syndication. It, and it is a favorite among the people who are in the movie, too. Well, I'm intrigued to see, uh, to see what this movie brings. But before we can go and watch this movie... We have to do something else. We gotta test my ability to see the future. I get to grill you. <laughs> For the first time, you're in the hot seat. Yeah. This is fun. All right. The first question, the most obvious question, have you seen it before? Yes, I have. But much like how you saw Batman 1989 before, same deal. I remember the general premise of it. I've seen the remake. That's about it. I know I didn't see it in a theater. Probably saw it on TV at one point. And then it wasn't me watching it. It was my mom. So I'd probably be in and out of the room. That is, uh... That is the extent of me watching it. Going into this completely fairly, I've never seen the remake. Oh. 
Yeah. Uh, when it came out, I thought about watching it. And then I thought of other remakes, how disappointing they had been, and also questioned a remake in the time and its place, and just decided to let... Yeah. (laughs) And just decided to let Overboard stay in the 80s, where it was less icky. That's fair. That is fair. And with the... With the idea of the ickiness, really problematic plot. Yes. What are your general thoughts going into this? So in the remake, it is like revenge as well, but she feels guilty like right off the bat after like the third day and her friend like convinces her to like keep going and then he falls in love naturally and all that stuff. So it's never her coercing him to do anything. Okay. But, rules reversed, this seems very much Stockholm Syndrome kind of thing. And I don't know, I don't know why, if the rules are reversed, it doesn't seem that bad, because it's generally the same thing, but when a man does it to a woman, it seems a little bit more skeevy than, uh... But Why? I don't know. I, I don't know. Toxic masculinity. I, I think don't... that's it. I think that's it. And I think we need to look at it. Like, just because it was a girl that did it and they showed her to feel guilty. This guy has some morals. He he says he's not going to be intimate with her unless she's in love. Like, genuinely in love with him. Nothing to do with until she has her memories back. But just until she's in love with him. Icky. But... It is just as icky, in my opinion. No, a hundred percent. That it is a woman doing it to a the, man. The act itself, regardless of gender roles, regardless of who's on what side, is a very problematic, concerning, icky, mm-hmm. like the entire act. Revenge, no revenge, like whatever it happens to be, it is just problematic. And I think and this is absolutely nothing against anybody else who was but I think one of the reasons that we're seeing that hot button and like getting upset about that hot button is because we weren't raised within the patriarchy. We were both raised by very strong women. Mm -hmm. So I am uh yeah, I don't. I don't know. Like the the plot point is obviously very problematic. For whatever reason, in my head, it didn't seem so icky when the woman did it to the man. But just thinking about the man doing it to the woman, yeah, it makes me feel icky. So like before, you can't cheer for the guy at that point, almost. Before we go into the movie, you gotta check your own masculinity a little bit. Your own <laughs> preconceived notion of you're gonna have to, like... Like, I had to check myself with Bale and really with Batfleck and then turn out to love Batfleck. I'm still... I'm still floored <laughs> that happened. But... You know, you're going to have to check yourself a little bit. And 
No, I, I am. I'm going into this with a completely open mind. I am... I'm not... Like, as we record this before watching the movie, I'm not, like, dreading watching the movie. I'm not making overly sarcastic, ma- toxic masculinity jokes about having to watch romance movies. Like, I... I'm interested to see how this plays out because, like I said, I never actually watched this movie fully, sat down and watched it of my own choice. I know the plot only because of the remake. But from what you're saying from the remake, things are different. There's no guilt. Right away. Oh. Yeah. There's no talking him into continuing. This is a person who is very much enjoying seeing somebody suffer. But it's funny and endearing. You're gonna have to Yeah, yeah. we're, you know, stop giving away the movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so can we go watch or you got more questions? I have one final question. Okay. So, let's take into consideration the genre, the fact that this is a romance movie. This was a movie that was written by a woman. And it has a woman as one of the central characters. Uh-huh. Do you think it's going to pass the Bechdel test? No. Really? Why? Why? Well, okay. So, my number one reason would be because it's the 80s. <laughs> okay? But, thinking more as, like, a psychopath? If I have kidnapped someone, I'm not going to let her talk to anyone... So, no. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Let's go watch a movie. (laughs) Now that you're done your laughing fit and we've watched the movie, we're back. It's a great day to be at sea. Great day. So what'd you think? I don't know how to answer that question. The movie glossing over like the really obvious icky parts did have a very cute ending jumping off the ships and swimming out to each other cute ending you know the oh you have everything annie what what could i possibly give you and she just goes a girl yeah i guess this is a cute cute little ending yeah but so creepy But, like, so endearing at the same time. Like, if you take out the relationship parts and just put in the mom parts, the the family dynamic, it's really cutely endearing. It is. But. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not not a fan, I guess. I guess I I could say it's just, it, it just, it leaves a lot of, what if kind of questions to it like she's been gone for roughly about two months and in two months she wants to spend the rest of their her life with this guy like i, I mean, think the initial idea behind it i'm not defending the movie i think it's an icky plot too i've said that but i think the initial thought behind it was more that she had found out who she truly was. And then through finding out who she truly was, then she found out that, like, she loved her life before, that that was the life she wanted with this man and those children. And then that fulfilled... that. I think 
I'm not saying it's right. Quit looking at me like I'm defending this. I'm saying I think that's what the point was supposed to be. The reason I chose this movie was because it is such a classic, but it is really icky. And there were things that made me quite uncomfortable when we were watching too. I can look back on it and say, I loved this when I was a child and I didn't understand it. And I can appreciate it for what it was when I was a child and I loved it and I watched it every time it was on TV. But looking at it now as the person I am now, it's icky. It is. And the guy is very... He's out for revenge. It's all vindictive. It's it does not come from like a great place, and it's it's it. yeah. He doesn't he doesn't have any sort of turn of conscience until he sees her become Mama Bear. Yeah, and then is that really guilt from? what he did or is it just yeah she cares for my kids the first woman since my wife so you know it's just like i have issues with the kurt russell character just because there is no no epiphany moment where you can tell they feel guilty even at the end when or near the end when he tries to uh when he gets caught with the underwear and he tries to to tell the truth it's not, it's not guilt, it's more like, I'm tired of defending this, and I'm just going to tell the truth, like, it's not worth the fight type of thing, like, there wasn't a epiphany, yeah, I guess that's, there wasn't an epiphany that said, hey, this is horrible, it started off on a horrible idea, $25 a day, until she pays me back the 600 for her shoe rack, I'm just going to let it roll. There's no, oh, this is really horrible. My kid's super glued plates to her hands or, you know, anything like that. No guilt. None. You also had a lot of issue with his ineptitude as a parent and the way that is depicted in, in media a lot. I did. I do. Men are amazing. <laughs> in media... And especially in the 80s and 90s, anytime a father figure was on television or movies, it was always a bumbling dote. You know? Like, she leaves. This guy raised these kids from birth. Then his wife died three years prior to the start of this movie. Okay? And the kids are running amok. I get it. Four, quote-unquote, teenage boys... I, I get how things would be running amok. Yeah, four rowdy boys, a dad working two jobs. Yeah, two dogs. Like, it, it makes sense that the house looks a little unkempt and, and things like that. But she comes down. The guy apparently can hunt and, you know, de-pluck or hunt and pluck a bird, like, professionally. He left the feet on. But that's another issue. But he obviously has skills. He's a carpenter, mechanic, like an everyday Joe, I guess, like blue-collar worker. And so three years he's raised these kids alone. Mm -hmm. This girl comes in for two months. 
Then she leaves, and then and then it's ravioli surprise where he's mixing up like canned pasta and Ritz crackers. I'm only saying those names because I was product placement and it stuck. But and then even the friend just kind of like, oh, I guess it's beefaroni surprise here, and I'm just gonna eat it. Like men are always depicted really yucky. Do you want to know what really bugged me about that? It's not even the ineptitude of his parenting abilities. It's the dang gender roles. This is a spoiled woman who had her butler doing her nails, all of her meals prepared for her, very clearly does not know what she's doing, yet within that two weeks becomes so proficient that she's manning the grill at their barbecue. The house is in perfect order. It's, it's, so she just, can please explain to me how this woman who is very inept in reality of this character is very inept, not just the bumbling father, mm-hmm. but yet she can walk into a classroom and immediately identify poison oak. Yeah, that too. But I mean, I think it was just, it was way too stereotypical. The dad hunts, the mom cooks, and then as soon as the mom's gone, the dad is hopeless. Mm -hmm. It reinforces gender roles that I had forgotten were reinforced that I don't love. Because I think gender roles are trash. It is the 80s, so... I know, but you gotta remember, it was the 80s when Full House came out, too. And that was three men raising three girls and doing a very wholesome job of it. Yeah, but aside from the father, the other two were still the bumbling uncles. Like, yes, they were. But tell me where the gender roles were in that in the eighties. Okay, but Uncle Jesse also did lots of those female. I'm doing air quotes. You can't see that. Also, did a lot of those female. Thing. I'm just saying. No, a hundred percent, he within... did. But and this again is the issue that I have with media and portrayal of men. So weird to say those things. But whenever Uncle Jesse did those girl things, like getting his hair done, it was always played up for a laugh instead of, you know, just like a dude who likes his hair. That like, is fair. It was always played up for a laugh. You know, when he's like getting his nails done with the girls, always laugh tracks, always another man, one of the other parents comes in and looks at him and, you know. But then you had Danny. Who was very much a man in and of the thing as well, but complete clean freak. Such a type A personality that I see so much of myself in him. Yes. There's an episode where he's like dust bustering under somebody as they're eating. And I can very clearly remember being in my grandfather's motorhome with him. Dust bustering, him eating toast and me dust bustering under him. That has actually happened to me. So I see a lot of myself in that, which was nice because it was a man I was seeing myself in. I had said to you as we were discussing this that part of my problem with the portrayal of media and then also just my upbringing, it reinforced a lot of men aren't emotional creatures. Yeah, like as I was being brought up, that's mm-hmm. what media would say, yeah, yeah, yes. and that's what I was seeing. So then 
I'm an adult who's realizing that men are getting a really crappy card handed to them. You guys are fully formed emotional creatures, just as women are. And yet you're expected to be so strong and... That is toxic masculinity. Of course it is. We just, we need to stop reinforcing that in media in and of itself. Yeah. And and men need to stop enforcing it. And I'm women need to stop enforcing it too. But as a joke to get those things going, men all say stuff like that. And because we're just led to believe, we should believe what's coming from your guys' mouths. So let's just all realize that men are just as evolved emotionally as women and we need to start giving them credit for that. That is my period on the se- on your sentence of you just didn't like the way the men were portrayed, and I'm 100% agreeing with you on that. I love this movie. I, I love it for the nostalgia of what it is. I don't think it has a place now. But let's see. Let's go into these questions, and we'll, we'll do the catch-up, and we'll... We'll see where we really end up. We'll I, back. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we're going to end up at the point where it's just icky overall. And as much as we love it, or as much as I loved it, I don't think it has a place now. And I don't think it should have had a place then. Interesting. Interesting to hear that from the fan. <sighs> it's hard, right? I... I think this is the only movie where I'm really going to have issues. There are some other issues covered in later movies, but they're not as as glaring and as gross. And one movie in particular is very relevant today in a sick way. Okay. But we'll see when we come to that in a couple of weeks. So, given the overall plot of the movie... What are your first thoughts? Like, when the credits roll, what was the first thing you thought? You know, my first thought when this movie ended, and I I took it all in, was how unbelievable that whole situation would be. Just everything. First off, one of my issues with this is the husband... Like, her actual husband doesn't own anything, and everything belongs to her. The yacht, money, everything. Like, that, I have an issue with that, and she just stays with the dude that she's met for two months, who lives in practically a shack. Like, where did his money go? What happened to his ex-wife? Where did these four kids come from? Like, she should have so many questions, regardless, regardless of the love that has manifested over the two months. There is so many questions that she should have. Okay? Like, first off, do those kids have middle names? Did they cover that at all? No, she's still calling the big guy Roy, even though his name was Trevor. Like, this Travis. Whatever. No, I had to stop and think about that for a second and wonder if it was Trevor. I believe it was Travis. Okay. Regardless, does he have a moment? He's he's apparently got a girlfriend that you know she knew about before the dad. So like, I I there is there is a lot of details that were left out because it's a movie. But in my head, I have to wonder. 
Was it covered at some point? How about the subtext where we're basically sending the message that their mother was totally replaceable? Yeah. Yeah, because we don't know. I mean, she died, but, like, was he distraught? This isn't a mom Yeah, this isn't a mom that takes off. This is... You loved her on her deathbed type of thing, like... And now it's, let's go get mom. Like, you're literally sending the message that these children's mother is replaceable. And you know what? It doesn't matter what you do as long as you have love in the end. Like, the dude was working two jobs, never saw his kids, and it all just kind of works out because they have love. And she was like, when he found the underwear... She was like, oh, I know, don't worry. I know that you're working two jobs. It's okay. And they are not surviving. Like, probably living paycheck to paycheck. They live in a shack. And not only that, but there's there's ineptitude as a parent, and then there's basic neglect. Maybe because it's I was an early reader. Maybe it's because I see how my friends parent their children. But I think there's zero excuse unless your child has a, a disability of some sort, a learning disability of some sort. There's zero excuse to send your child to kindergarten without basic reading skills. Yes. And this man I don't even think it's has, so allowed. Like, schools are there to help, not to do. Yeah. Like, not a brag, I just... My father was a very big reader, so I was read to from very young. I remember reading chapter books by the time I was nine and having the school tell me I couldn't take a chapter book because I was too young. So I, I, I obviously don't expect that other children will be, should be as advanced as that. But there's a base level. There is. And I, I think it was basic neglect that this school-aged child could not read at all. And enough, have enough cognizant awareness of it that he's ashamed of it. Mm -hmm. So he's old enough to recognize that he should know how to read and hasn't been taught by the adult in his life to do so. Yeah, I don't, I don't think those kids should stay with that father. Like, there is a lot there that people should have intervened at some point. Like, they live in a shack that barely has a roof. He didn't even fix the roof. Okay, like, he falls for her. He makes a mini golf course. He doesn't fix the roof. Like, what? He can't... He's so sick that he won't even give her any positive things from her past. It's... He's got to dig in, like, every little miserable, gross thing that he can imagine. He's not just getting revenge. He's punishing and humiliating. Yeah. It's gross. And then you have to wonder, does she love him? Or does she have Stockholm Syndrome? Yeah, there is a lot of, uh, like I said, there's a lot of issue here. And my, my first thought was is just too unbelievable. As cute as the last 30 seconds are, 
there is just so much yucky black shadow looming over that it it, it takes me out. It takes you, me out. You do. You wonder if you're watching a romantic comedy or a if you're watching a dramatic thriller. reenactment mm-hmm. of a true crime documentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, like, and, you know, just to, like, compare, in the remake, they both jump out and they do the whole swim thing and everything, and but there's hesitancy to actually go through with it. Whereas in this one, it's just like, bam, all in, love is all you need. I think I think maybe that's that's my issue is that love is all you need and it's not. No, I think I think that I, yeah okay let's let's peel back all those layers. I think that is my issue with this movie and my initial thoughts were love is not all you need. I feel uh-huh. like I'm going to be very anti love in this season. I don't know. Which is I was just <laughs> going to say is I don't I don't know if you can consider yourself a fan of romance, which you do. I mean, if it makes sense, there's there's a lot of movies that have a very heavy plot, romantic plot. Like, well, and then I'm going to be throwing, like, supernatural romance at you that's going to make no friggin' sense. Yeah, I mean, if a vampire wants to date a werewolf, that makes sense, because one ruled over the other, and that's like Romeo and Juliet. That's you not going to happen. You peel it back all, it goes back to a classic. And that's not going to happen. Although now I'm wishing I had included Peter the Dance. Anyways, when remade in 2018, they reversed those gender roles. Mm-hmm. Do you think the 2018 remake would have been as moderately successful as it was had they kept the original gender roles? In 2018? Yeah. Like, say it had the exact same plot where there is the hesitancy, there is the overall plot that takes away the ickiness of it truly, would it still have worked if it was a man doing it to a woman? If they took away the ickiness of the plot and they washed away the no guilt from the man, I think you could make the male character a bit more redeeming. Like, I was... Okay, so in this movie, I was watching... And I was like, he can't be all this icky. Like, they end up together. So there's got to be, like, some redeeming feature, some quality that pops up every once in a while. There was none for Kurt Russell. No, no, there wasn't. His redeem... No, you're defending yourself when you don't need to. His redeeming quality was that he was a very talented gaslighter. Yes, like, that's it. There was not... There was no... I did not feel a shred of humanity coming from him. Like, it was literally all, I'm going to get this queen bee, and I'm going to make her pay me back in blood. $25 a day till she pays off $625, roughly about two months of work. And he even, like, he gets his kids involved and, like, you know, hey, Sugar lips, go get my friend a beer. Like he puts her through a lot, so Let's it's not all forget punishment. In one scene, Billy's like, "Don't do this. It's illegal." Very next scene, he's like, "Very next scene, he appears in. He's all, so what are you gonna do to her tonight? Do to her yes. tonight?" Yeah, no, there is, there is, uh, yeah. So in twenty eighteen. Any any remake. If they remake this movie and they kept the gender roles as is. It is a cute premise. Okay? It is a very cute premise and, 
you know, amnesia. It's like they're trying to be a fairy tale, but they don't get how creepy they are. Yeah. Introduce redeeming, humanizing characteristics and uh, character traits to the male character. I, I think it would work, and even in today's political climate. But if they fixed all that, would it be the same movie? I don't think it would. Therefore, can, we can honestly say it probably wouldn't work. Well, it could, like Fifty First Dates. Adam Sandler's movie. That's adorable, though. It and is it adorable. It doesn't break the lines of consent at all because he may... Yeah, like... He has... He he shows her their life every morning. He he shows that he is this established person. Yes, but, like, the beginning of that movie is him trying to get with her every day in different ways. So... Which was, yes, a little Yeah, so, like, if you were to take... The redeeming characteristics of the Adam Sandler character, where he actually likes her, and pop it into this character, where, yeah, it starts off from, like, a revenge kind of way, but within, like, a little bit, there's guilt, and there's, like, actual feelings from the character. Because, like, I, I did not feel any... This is weird. But I did not feel any chemistry between the two characters. Not the actors. The characters. Like, there is no reason Kurt Russell's character would fall for this woman aside from the body and maybe defending his kids one time, but then that's not that's that's not like love. Well, that's And furthermore, there's no reason that Joanna Staten would fall for him. Which is why I had said when they were finally is that there are arguments around the consent lines based on the fact that she's still her. She still controls her feelings. But then you have to ask, is she her? Because the her that was, was repulsed by her. Yeah, no, there's a lot of icky. A lot of icky with that movie. Not to take a side or anything, but I think Joanna would still fall for the Kurt Russell character, whatever his name was. Um, I think she would still fall for him if the situation, like, if their first encounter hadn't been that way. Right? If... I don't know that she would, because Joanna Staten, like, there was a woman had a name and Karen was her name Oh, She was evil. No, she was. She what? literally tried to insinuate something very bad about this man just because he got in her face yeah a hundred percent but but again not to pick a side the kurt russell character now i might be backtracking on what i previously said but there were some endearing qualities he did have like he did work two jobs to support his family he was resourceful that you know he could fix everything and uh he had like an entrepreneurial thing about him. Like, I didn't understand the whole let's make golf course thing because he was trying to sell it, so I don't understand how that makes money, but he kind of had a dream, which would make me think that Joanna would like that because there was a means to get more money, and she seems to like money, so, like... That's true, but she would have to get to know him to see all of that, and I have a feeling, like, station means everything, and he does not show any sort of station at all. No, that is correct. But, let's say, let's just tweak one thing about him. 
where instead of selling the golf course, which is what he said he was going to do, he kept it. And then that's ad revenue, and then he goes to another town, and then he makes another little golf course. Like, he could be the golf course king of Oregon. And then eventually they would meet, no? I don't think so, for one simple reason. The golf course was his idea. The success was because of her ideas. Yeah, that's fair. That's No, that's fair. That's fair, but... Like I said, not to go back on what I said previously about having no redeeming qualities, that was literally the only thing he had going for him in this entire movie. Was, And that was the only thing that made me believe that the feelings she had for him were legitimate. But I don't think he had any legitimate feelings from her, aside from, that's a cute butt. And very pretty eyes. Very pretty eyes. Holy huh? Mm-hmm. She is so beautiful. But that, that's it. Like, She's aged really well too. Yeah, I don't see I don't see that character legitimately falling for Joanna in two months, aside from a physical attraction. And perhaps more in love with the idea of a mother for his children than her. Yeah. And I think probably her a little bit more in love with the idea of the family. Because she didn't have the heartbreaking kill you goodbye with me. She had the heartbreaking kill you goodbye with the kids. Yeah, that's true too. See, so yeah, like they're you know, it was it was little Joey screaming, Mom, don't leave and and, and she had and promised then she even him that she the, wasn't uh, going anywhere. Yeah. She grabbed the necklace and she had the necklace when she put it on before she jumped from the boat. Yeah. So, which destroyed the necklace, but let's not talk about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm pretty sure that was a segue, but I to answer your original question, I think it would have worked had they added a little bit more clarification and humanization of the male character. Good point. And kind of on the same lines of that, in the world of fiction. People are more willing to explore the taboo. With that in mind, do you think the movie will continue to be loved or could have another remake? Or is it just a great nostalgic piece that needs to be left in the past? A little bit of both. A little bit of both. I don't think there'll ever be a... I, I don't think, looking back at it in the 90s, in the 2000s, in the 2010s, 30, 40, 50s. I don't think it'll ever be a, hey, this is amazing for everything it is. I think at this point, it'll always be a, oh, that was cute, but... And even the remakes, like, they changed a lot of, like, not a lot, but they changed some of the plot points to make it more human. I think if it ever gets remade, it won't be, like, a such a glaring plot hole. Like, I think, yeah, I think, I think there is a lot... A little bit of both. A little bit of both, I guess, is the best way I can put it, because, yeah, like, you can't have it a shot-for-shot remake at this point, because it is so icky. You can't look back at it and be like, this movie was 100% okay. You will always have to acknowledge how icky it is. Yeah, for sure. I, 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 I agree with you in that aspect. All right. So looking at the movie as a whole, mm-hmm. what was your favorite and least favorite? My favorite 
part was Joanna's reconciliation of her life when she goes back to the ship and, you know, her mom is there, her husband, the doctor, and she's just, like, realizing that how she was brought up and how she's lived up until that point wasn't the best. The conversation she has with her main butler and and uh, how, you know, she... She had the opportunity to see life from the other side. Very uh, Prince and the Popper type of thing. Now, she has the choice to choose where she wants to go because she has been able to experience life unattached. That, like, 10, 15 minutes of uh, movie near the end, uh, that was my favorite part. I think I know. Now, you had mentioned earlier that one of the things that kind of bothered you was that she owns everything. Yeah, that too. So, I, I think I can work out a justification for that that might have been on their mind, thinking like of the time. So here's this woman who comes from money. Love can't be enough, right? So she can only leave this man to go and be with him because she does own everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that that bugged me too, but but like that that chunk of time there where she's kinda like, you know, she's drinking with the staff and all normal and then he like gives her the her earrings or something and he's like and then she's like, Oh, what are these? And then he like mocks her about how oh, she lost them. I lost these between lower sixty fifth and Madison. Find them. Yeah. Yeah, and, and all she she just she just realizes what a Karen she was yeah. and just apologizes and And, and it's thanks so him. genuine. Yeah, and then thanks him. So like that that chunk of time where she realizes how she's been, who she was, what she wants to be, favorite part of the movie. Because it, it's it's very well acted, it's very genuine, like it 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 makes me like that character. So what was your least favorite? Kurt Russell planning this crime. And, oh, and the friend. Bobby? Billy? Billy, Bob, yeah, Billy, Something. I think. That guy. Yeah, like that, like him planning it, he's like, I'm gonna go get her, this is great. And then Bobby Billy, he's like, this is a crime, don't do it. And he just walks away. Oh, but before he leaves, he's like, go pick up my kids, take them to the thrift store, and go get some dresses. And Billy Bob just picks up his kids and goes and assists in this felony? Not to mention this man saw... Billy saw a picture of her and yet still picks up a freaking moo-moo. Yeah. Yeah. So so any, any scene where Kurt Russell was talking to Billy Bob and being like, this crime is the perfect crime, and then Billy Bob... Oh! There's so much gross stuff happening in this. Because Billy Bob, just in the same scene, Billy Bob's like, oh, what are you going to do to her tonight, my man? I... Yeah. And then when he goes and picks her up, the cop's like, oh, these panties. Oh, these are very nice, my man. Yeah, this is your wife's. Like, icky. Oh, and then and then he's like, oh, yeah, I don't want to talk about it. But she has a birthmark on her butt cheek. And then the doctor and the creepy cop are both like, oh, yeah, we're going to see some butt cheek. I realize I just got wound up. There is a lot of yucky 
in this movie, and I'm I'm not 100% okay with it. Like, I understand innuendos, and, you know, you can make innuendos and jokes and not have them come across so creepy. Like, if I had a friend who were saying that, if I had a doctor, and I took my wife, and the doctor or the nurse, or something, was making comments about my wife's underwear, I'd report that right there. Oh, yeah. Like, there is there's a lot of ucky. You want to know the sad thing? Mm. That was probably one of the most realistic parts of the movie. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I grew up a man, so, you know. Anyways! Did it pass the Bechdel test? No. Yes. No. Yes. No. Oh, wait. No. Yes. All right, let's go. Three women. Which ones? Uh, Joanna. Joanna's mom. I can't remember what her name is. Gertie. Who's Gertie? Gertie is Billy's girlfriend. Okay. That works at the bar. Yeah. Plus the model had a name. The Painted Lady. It's a very weird name. I can't remember what it is now. But anyways, um, Joanna... And the mother, Gertie, had a conversation about the kids. Kids is boys. But it's about their children, not about a man. That child no. was a man, pretty much. If you go look on the Does It Pass the Back, like on, there's a website um, that has every movie ever made, legitimately. You search by year. And they go through and they break down whether or not it passes, and Overboard does pass. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like it doesn't. There's also Joanna and her mother have a conversation about her not having a baby. No, so but they're she's talking the about princess. the husband. She, that conversation starts with Dale asking me if I want to have kids again. And then the mother says, well, if you have a baby, you not it, the baby. It's true. So, that one. That one's more iffy. But it does. There. There is only one conversation. It's very, very brief. But it does occur also between the teacher and her. They no, have a big because, argument about the kids. Yeah, but then she also mentions these kids should not be, be raised by that man. Talking about that man, she's like, you do not talk about my husband like that. And also, don't be an imbecile. Look, they have poison oak. Which I don't know what poison oak is, but I just lost my memories and bam, 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 bam. I forgot she brought up the husband in that. But yes, there is there is a scene in which it does pass. I had to look it up because I didn't think so either. But according to the Bechdel website, Overboard Passes. Well, given that we just watched this movie and you read that stuff beforehand, you were watching for that scene? No, I didn't even pay attention because I knew it passed. Sorry. Mm. I'll pay more attention next time. Because, like we, like the last movie we watched, technically that movie passed the Bechdel test, but they cut it so much that... You wouldn't even notice. Yeah, I think if you would have gone... Are you talking about Justice League? Yeah. I think if you would have gone... I haven't looked. I didn't look up Justice League. Um, because it was very obvious that theatrical yeah. didn't pass. Well, and, and I mean, we made comments about yeah. how that one actress who had her entire scenes cut had a name, and they talked about a bullet, not about a man. So, yeah. potentially, but it is what it is. But this one doesn't have a director's cut to give you more information. So we're just going by what Bechdel website says. 
which is that it passes. You should be going by what the fan says, though. But it is contributed by the fans, so. Alright, then. Do you have any more questions? I do not. That closes out the catch-up. My first catch-up. How's it feel? Weird. I'm... <laughs> I'm not an interviewer, so... I hope I didn't disappoint y'all. Yeah, I'm usually the one asking the questions in my line of work and everything, so to just get them thrown at me and to have my own thoughts and opinions, it's 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 an odd role reversal. But that means that, see, I do it now. Like, I take control. I tell you what we're going to do. That's how it goes. And this one isn't a role reversal. We've always done it together, so. Yeah. We are talking about things you already know. <laughs> I do already know all of this. Yeah, I know none of this, so. First piece of trivia, which I think we covered earlier in the show anyway, so kind of a gimme. Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell got together in 1983. Talked about that before. But as of this point, they have worked together five times in five separate movies. Mm-hmm. Including being Miss Santa and Mrs. Claus. In the recent one that just came out, yeah, the Santa the, Chronicles. Yeah, the Christmas Chronicles. Christmas Chronicles, yes. Which is a very cute little Santa and Mrs. Claus couple. I, they're adorable. I, we cannot get me back on a, a Stan rant, so we're going to move on. Okay. Uh, Kurt Russell's father, Bing Russell, plays the sheriff. Bing is best known as Deputy Clem Foster on Bonanza and Robert in The Magnificent Seven. He's, he was also the owner of the Portland Mavericks baseball club. Portland Mavericks, they were a, not a professional, like one below it, I think. And after him buying them, they were the only independently owned team in that Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Uh, The rocking motion of the yacht. They actually were on a yacht. It kept causing members of the crew to fall asleep while they were shooting. That makes sense. Being rocked to sleep on a boat. Soothing. But can you imagine, like, and action. Great work, Goldie. Wonderful work, Kurt. Somebody please wake up my AD. Yeah, that would just, I find it. Another thing I find really, maybe because I grew up in a bowling alley, I find this perfect. The filmmakers didn't make any adjustments whatsoever to the bowling alley. Nothing. Even that please do not touch this TV sign is original to the bar that they were filming in. I just love it because the bowling alley I grew up in looked exactly like that. Very authentic. Yes. Uh, Joey Prophet talking in Pee Wee Herman's voice, that little kid, kid number four, talking in Pee Wee Herman's voice was an improvisation and not part of the original script, but they loved it, and then, like, every third line he gave was in Pee Wee Herman's voice. You gotta think how intelligent of it, how intelligent it is of that little child to be like, I'm gonna do this as Pee Wee and see how that goes. Brilliant. I am amazed at the talent of actors. I'll never have that talent. I'll never have the ability to think on my feet like that. I'm in awe. I don't think you give yourself enough credit. This show is 80% unscripted, so... You find a way to say that in every episode. Because it's true. 
<laughs> Hector Elizondo made an uncredited cameo as the captain of the garbage boats. He appeared in all 18 of Gary Marshall's films. They were really great friends. They were. Very great friends. You want to know? I'm just going to add to this. I don't know. But did you know the reason that he appears in all his movies? I just said they're really great friends. No, no, no. Actually, Gary Marshall had it written into his contracts that Hector would show up. Like, he would always have a role in every movie he did. It's written into his contract. Hector didn't know about this until after Gary passed that he found out that it was actually written into all his contracts that he would be involved in his friend's movies. God, friend, and me. I feel like that's them. Like, that's... And to find it out after, to find out that your best friend so solidly had your back that if he had a job, you had a job, that's amazing. Agree. That's friend goals. So, speaking of Gary Marshall, he has gone on record to say he considered this the funniest movie he's ever made. That's high praise coming from a man who created that much TV comedy gold. And I get that he said movie and not TV, but it's still really high praise. Yeah, you'd think it'd be harder to make a comedy TV show with, you know, a dozen episodes every season going on and spanning multiple years than just like a one one hour, 30 minute movie. Like, yeah. you think. And if you take all the icky parts out of it, it, it legitimately was fun. It, it, it had it, it great humor when you took out all like the yuckies. Yeah. So I think that's, I would agree with that. Overboard was released in 1987 in The Best of Times, which was in 1986, and also starring Kurt Russell. There are references to Gigi, who's Kurt Russell's character's wife. And on one of the opposing football players was known as Dr. Death. So then you think it's got to be completely on purpose that the boys... Uh, hideout is GG, gruesome girl, gruesome ghouls, mm-hmm. but GG. And the evil character they're fighting is Dr. Death. And then at the end of the movie, the kids are like, We need Dr. Death. And then Kurt Russell comes and bangs on the door. Yeah. And they're like, Who is it? It's Dr. Death. Let's go. Yeah. It's, it's just, it is really, really nice. Yeah. Did you know that the. The spotter on the lifeguard there at the last, in the last, like, five minutes, that was actually Gary Marshall's son. The one that was, like, man overboard, woman Yeah, the overboard. one who kept uh, announcing everything happening. Man overboard is kissing woman overboard. What a great day to be a sea accident. Yeah. <laughs> but now I find it even more hilarious that that was one of my favorite lines, and I chose to, to start this segment with it. That's yeah. kind of funny. That was his son. That was overboard. That was. Where? That was ketchup. That was, yeah, yeah. That was that so was. Was that the ketchup? No, that, no, was, that was stuff, stuff we, we already know. know. All right, and that brings us to the end of stuff that we already knew about a movie that I used to love. Oh, you don't love it anymore? Nostalgically, yes. Hmm. Uh, realistically, for what it is, I love Goldie and Kurt. I don't know that this movie sits right with me. Let's just say the plot. The movie's good. It's the plot. That's that's the issue. Yeah. Okay, we'll go with that. 
But that does tie things up here for us, so we've done the catch-up, we did the trivia, we're, we're, we're essentially done. Yeah. And call it a day. Next week, we are going to be watching... Drumroll, please. Troy. Which... The action movie? <laughs> you completely have balked at now twice, because... It's an action movie. You shall see. You shall see. <laughs> All Anyways, right, before we end this, we are just going right into my dad joke. Oh, is that that wasn't a season one thing? That was a that's a forever thing. I love my dad joke. Okay, it needs to come. It needs to stay and be here forever. Since we are on the theme of boats, what did the philosopher say when he fell overboard? Man overboard. I sink. Therefore, I swam. No. 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 Ah, uh, no. We out. <laughs>